Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. The French History Podcast is brought to you by Evergreen Podcasts. History, pop culture, news, whatever it is you're looking for, Evergreen has the best of it. Chapter 9. The Siege of Nicaea Thus, when Nicaea was surrounded, attacked, and finally forced to surrender by the attackers, it was Gaul that assured it, Greece that helped it, and God who brought it about. The Gesta Tancredi It was not possible to serve two lords, namely the common good and the king of the Greeks, the Gesta Tancredi. A year and a half after Pope Urban II called France to war in a faraway land, its sons had arrived. 40,000 soldiers and nearly 6,000 mounted knights assembled at the imperial storehouses at Kabotos on the northwestern fringe of Anatolia. The last time that so many Christian soldiers had assembled for battle was 26 years earlier at Manzikert. There, the Turks won a stunning victory, one which broke the back of the Byzantine Empire, if not from the battle itself, then from the political chaos that ensued. As the Eastern Roman strength collapsed, it was upon the men of the West to reverse their catastrophic losses. The First Crusade was not just marching in the shadow of Byzantine failure. As the French and their allies gathered, the last remnants of the People's Crusade shambled to meet them. What had once been over 100,000 devout souls that had rampaged across Europe had dwindled to mere thousands of impoverished peasants. They brought with them stories of the ferocious Turks of Rum and their leader, Kilij Arslan, the Sword Lion. Chief among the defeated was Pierre the Hermit, the man who had led so many to their death. Not that he took any responsibility for it. Pierre preached that his followers had brought about their own doom by marching against his orders. Thus, the seven armies of the West marched in the footsteps of two great disasters. To make matters worse, the Turks were well informed about the incoming attack. While Christian and Muslim peoples were increasingly in conflict during this time, trade still occurred. With trade comes news. The Muslims of the Middle East had learned about the Pope's call to war not long after its declaration. Furthermore, the huge numbers of the People's Crusade demonstrated to them that holy war was enormously popular in the West. Far from a few thousand mercenaries heading east, as the Pope had originally planned, they expected tens of thousands to take up the call. While the Turks held numerous advantages, there was one thing the Westerners had in their favor. The Turks underestimated their opponents. 
thinking them little more than the rabble that had assaulted them seven months earlier. Khalij Arslan was so confident in his position that he led an army east to fight against the Donishmeds, another Turkish group. The sword lion would soon learn that the new masses that arrived were not peasants, but trained soldiers, among the finest in all of Europe. French infantry were renowned for their resilience even in the face of a mobile foe. The French heavy cavalry, particularly the Normans, were peerless in Europe. Finally, the French were expert in siege warfare since their homeland was filled with castles, necessitating creative ways to breach stone walls. One final advantage that the French and their allies had was that they were highly motivated. They marched with the Pope's own banner, blessed by his chosen bishop, Ademach, with a divine mission to liberate the Holy Land. To ensure the men's spirits remained high, Emperor Alexios I further promised that the Latins would receive gold, silver, and horses should they take Nicaea. With hearts pounding at the thought of God, gold, and glory, 40,000 Western soldiers set out, alongside 2,000 Byzantines. In early May 1097, five crusader armies arrived at Nicaea, with Duke Robert and Etienne's forces trailing behind them. Once one of the greatest cities in the Greek world, it was at that moment the capital of the Sultanate of Rum. Its high walls had made it impossible for the Byzantines to retake. Its western side was on Lake Ascania, leaving less surface area that the defenders had to secure. Additionally, the lake permitted the Turks to send out ships to resupply. Nicaea was both a great medieval metropolis and a fortress, which is why the Greeks argued that it could only be taken with a long siege. The Westerners would have none of it. On the 14th of May, the five armies assaulted the city before the Normans and Flemish could even show up. Each of the great leaders wanted the glory of being the first to breach the walls, none more so than Bohemond, who wanted to impress his martial skills to his fellows so he might lead the holy war, and to the emperor to earn a better place in the post-war settlement. The Latin soldiers approached the walls to probe its defenses. These initial forays were ineffective. Then the French constructed catapults. Nicaea's walls held against the hurled stones, but these were just a distraction. While the crusaders fired projectiles, teams of sappers under the command of Raymond dug underneath the walls. The Provençal diggers opened up enough ground that the foundations began to sag. A sudden shuddering was the only warning before a section of the walls collapsed, shocking the defenders. However, the Turks were not done for yet, as the rubble remained largely impassable. The Turks worked through the night to repair the wall as best they could before the attackers could clear it. As shocking as the sudden assault was, Nicaea would not fall easily. While the Turks were horrendously outnumbered, they had been aware 
that the armies would soon arrive and had stockpiled months' worth of provisions, allowing them to hold out during a long siege. They also had an ample supply of projectiles, including arrows, stones, and burning oil, which they used liberally against the overeager besiegers. Death came brutally to the Westerners. Peter Frankopin writes, One leading knight, Baldwin of Calderon, had his neck broken by the blow of a stone hurled from the parapets as he led a charge against the town's gates. Other prominent figures were also struck, including Baldwin of Ghent, who was mortally wounded by a fine shot from the battlements. Disease also began to take its toll. The young and courageous Guy of Possez came down with fever and died soon after. Weeks passed, and the defenders grew increasingly confident in their position. After repelling one of the attacks by the Normans, the Turks took one of the enemy corpses, stripped it, and hung it from the walls as a trophy. The Westerners responded with even more brutality when they captured a Turkish relief force, decapitated them, placed their heads on spears, and paraded them before the walls. Unfortunately for the Turks, the Westerners' bag of tricks was deep. If the East excelled in astronomy, medicine, and a number of other sciences, the West had rapidly developed siege warfare. The soldiers chopped down the tallest, sturdiest trees from a nearby forest and constructed towers. The soldiers chopped down the tallest, sturdiest trees from a nearby forest and constructed siege towers. These were hulking towers that moved on wheels. From top to bottom, they were covered with leather to protect from arrows, burning oil, and fire. Their ultimate purpose was to approach the walls where the tops of the siege towers would drop open and the soldiers inside would burst onto the walls. The Provençals led the assault. Archers fired on the walls, preventing as many defenders from assaulting the massive behemoth that approached. This tower was not tall enough to reach the wall's top, but that was not its intention. With the siege tower providing cover, sappers at the base began to chip away at one of the tower's foundations. The Provençals removed stones and replaced them with logs, which they set on fire. Despite their efforts, the tower did not collapse, though it sustained clear damage. Nicaea's walls held for the moment, but the defenders knew that their integrity was compromised. Any further damage could open up a breach, allowing the Westerners to enter and slaughter them wholesale. Greek messengers communicated every detail to Emperor Alexios, who managed the Byzantine forces from a camp further north. When Alexios learned what was happening, he sensed opportunity. The Turks were afraid of the Westerners. The French were a foreign enemy, one with little to no understanding of their foe, nor care for their well-being. Their parade of heads had demonstrated as much. In contrast, the Eastern Romans were an old enemy. Whenever two peoples live beside each other, they develop 
and understanding. The Byzantines valued Turkish soldiers, regularly employing them in their armies. Moreover, as a heterogeneous empire, the Eastern Romans did not want to extinguish the Turks. Far from it, they wanted to incorporate them. Alexios guessed that the Turks would rather keep their heads, and sent a message to Nicaea. Ranking General Manuel Baramides personally entered the city and offered protection to the defenders from the Latins if they surrendered the city to Byzantium. Alexios was left disappointed. The city's defenders retained their faith in the walls. They continued to resupply via the lake, and word filtered through to them that Khalij Arslan would soon return. The Westerners were aware that the sword lion was coming. French soldiers had captured Turkish spies who had infiltrated the camp while pretending to be Christian pilgrims and tortured them. Through these, the armed pilgrims learned that an enemy army was on its way. Today's episode is brought to you by Factor. Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals make eating better every day easy. With over 35 different options a week to choose from, including keto, calorie smart, vegan, and veggie, and more, there's always something new and delicious to enjoy. With over 55 nutrition-packed add-ons, Factor is your go-to for all your dietary needs. Cheaper than takeout, healthy, and easy to prepare, Factor provides all the restaurant-quality meals, snacks, smoothies, whatever you need, they've got it. And with food ready to heat and eat, you won't have to deal with the regular kitchen mess. Factor is giving out a special deal for our show's listeners. Head to factormeals.com slash FrenchHistory50 and use the code FrenchHistory50 to get 50% off. That again is FrenchHistory50 at factormeals.com slash FrenchHistory50. Sign up now. Your stomach will thank you later. If the Crusaders failed to take the city soon, they would be caught between the fortress and a heavily mobile force. The opportunity for an easy victory was slipping. Then the Greeks came up with a plan. They carried warships over land to the lake. There they set up a naval blockade. Next, the Byzantine land force attacked. The Eastern Romans fired furiously on the walls, blared horns, and waved imperial banners. Their ploy was to trick the defenders into thinking that reinforcements were arriving. The gambit worked. The demoralized Turks again met with Botomides. On the 19th of June, in exchange for the city, the Turks received ample gifts of gold and were accepted into imperial service, save the leaders, who Botomides did not trust. The Greek maneuver was so sudden that it caught the Westerners off guard. Even as Botomides accepted the surrender, the French rushed to assault the walls. Then the sight of Eastern Roman standards waving from the towers 
brought an end to the fighting. When the Latins found out what had occurred, many were outraged. They had wanted to plunder the city for themselves. Furthermore, the fact that the Turks, who had resisted them with such force, would be rewarded by the Greeks was highly offensive to men who had come to kill infidels. The emperor was about to rub salt in the wound. Even as his servants distributed gifts to the grumbling crusaders, he demanded that those who had not taken the oath swear to him. This was a step too far for the hot-headed Tancred. He and the more idealistic soldiers had joined the war for the cause of Christ. Yet Alexios was clearly more concerned with the earthly renewal of his empire, to the point of buying off the lords with gifts. When Alexios asked Tancred to take the oath, the Italo-Norman replied that he would only do so if he was given more wealth than his fellows had been given for doing the same. An outraged Eastern Roman senior officer lunged at Tancred, and the two had to be physically separated. With tempers still high, Beaumont took his nephew aside and counseled him to agree to Alexios' demands. Out of loyalty to his uncle, Tancred acquiesced and took the oath. The siege of Nicaea was the first victory for the Holy War, though in truth it was more of Alexios' triumph. It was a necessary victory for the emperor, Nicaea was as far as he dared to travel. From this point on, the Holy War was beyond direct imperial control. Boromides also remained behind as the duke of the freshly conquered city. Taking up the imperial standard was Tatakios, the general to whom Alexios allotted a small army and ordered to guide the Westerners through Anatolia and secure reconquered cities. Given his importance to the story, it's worth introducing the man who represented the Eastern Roman Empire during the Holy War. Tatakios was likely the son of a Turk who had been captured by Alexios' father, Iones. The nameless Turk became a slave in the Komnenos household, and Tatakios grew up serving Alexios. Master and servant developed a friendship that would carry throughout their lives. Tatakios became a military commander for Alexios when he seized the throne in 1081. As a high-ranking functionary and general, he accompanied Alexios everywhere he went. He notably served as a commander at the 1081 Battle of Dyrrhachium, where Alexios was first defeated by Robert Giscach and his giant son, Beaumont. For the next 15 years, Tatakios fought a losing war against the Turks in Anatolia. It was likely during one of these battles that an enemy soldier sliced his nose off. Tatakios survived, and for the rest of his life wore a golden prosthetic in its place. While Tatakios failed to save Alexios' domains, he did save his life by uncovering the 1094 plot to assassinate him. Despite being born a Turk, Tatakios was wholly Byzantine. He was also one of the few people that Alexios could trust 
unreservedly. With his position in Constantinople more secure than it had been in years, Alexios felt he could part with his lifelong friend and most loyal servant. By the end of June, the Holy War decamped. Yet again, Bohemond was determined to be in the vanguard. The giant, his nephew Tancred, the adventurous Robert, Count of Flanders, and Tatakios first set off, while the larger armies followed behind. As they left, Etienne wrote back to his wife Adele that God was on their side and that they expected to reach Jerusalem in five weeks. As is usually the case with such predictions, the war lasted much longer than the hopeful count imagined, in part due to the actions of the emperor. As the armed pilgrims marched east, Alexios sent his forces west and south to retake the western coast of Anatolia. Tatakios even led the holy war on a southern detour to ensure that the entire western coastline fell under Byzantine control. At every opportunity, Alexios prioritized the revival of Byzantium above the goals of the holy war, something which did not go unnoticed by the Turks. Yet for the time, the Western Turks were not ready to strike a bargain. Kilij Arslan was too late to save his capital, but the sword lion was determined to have his revenge. As always, donations keep the podcast going, so if you would like to make a one-time donation or become a patron, please consider doing so. Thank you very much for your continued support. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.